But let's go to the Lord in prayer and seek His face as we prepare to look to Him in His Word. Our Father in Heaven, we come before You and we again ask that You would quiet our minds and our hearts. And O Lord, I ask that You would quiet my mind and my heart as we seek Your face now in Your Word and as I prepare to open Your Word and to preach and to proclaim Your good news to Your people. Father, my words are weak, they are feeble, they are frail. And I ask that You would use them. May You use this jar of clay that I am to put Your glory on display. I pray that You would come now in power, in the power of Your Spirit, and that Your Word would land on Your people's hearts in a massive way. May we be built up this morning by Your Word and what we hear. And may it be to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ whom we represent here this morning as citizens of the kingdom of God. May it be to His glory and may it be for our good. Amen. You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. So this morning, this is our fourth and final message in our series on the church that we have been going over the last few weeks. This is our final message. And what we are going to be focusing on this morning is, again, how we represent Jesus and how we represent Him in making disciples. That's what we're going to be focusing on in our final message today. How we represent Him in making disciples. We, as the people of God, are to be spreading the kingdom of God. And that's what we're going to see in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission. We, as the people of God, are called by Jesus Himself to be spreading the kingdom of God. But before we go any further, let's briefly recap over the last few weeks what we've been looking at. So what we have seen so far is that God intended from the very beginning of creation to be reflected and enjoyed by a people. Remember, we saw that not just by, indiv- not by an individual. Remember, He created Adam, and He said it's not good that man should be alone. He created Eve. And He called them to multiply and to fill the earth. And that is why you and every other human being exist, to reflect God and enjoy Him. The problem, however, is that we have all failed to do this. We have failed to reflect God and enjoy Him. And again, we saw that in Genesis in the fall of Adam and Eve. God created Adam and Eve in His image, and He commanded them to be fruitful and to fill the earth with more image bearers. And remember we said that they were God's people, living in God's place, enjoying God's blessing. They were essentially enjoying the kingdom that He had created and had placed them in. They were enjoying God's kingdom until one day they rebelled and said to themselves that we're going to be the king. We're going to decide for ourselves what it is 
that we do with the lives that have been given to us. They rebelled against God and His kingdom. So God then punished them and removed His presence from the kingdom. Adam and Eve and all of humanity along with them, including you and me, then fell into sin, into corruption. God made a promise in the midst of all of this, though. He promised them that someone was going to come and bring restoration. We then followed this promise throughout the Bible until we came to the New Testament, where we saw Jesus step onto the scene and declare, Repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. By saying that, by proclaiming, repent and believe, the kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus was showing that He was in fact the promised one. The one that God promised would come from Genesis chapter 3, whenever He made His promise to Adam and Eve. He is the one who restores all that we have broken, all that we have messed up. He comes into the world and lives, dies, takes the holy wrath of God that we deserve because of our sin and rises from the grave in victory. We saw Him gather a people to Himself. We saw Him give them new hearts. We saw Him fill them with His Spirit and begin to conform them into His image. And that is who the church is. That is who we are as the church. We are the people of God, the chosen people of God, who because of Jesus are citizens in the kingdom of God and of Jesus who reigns as King. And one day when the kingdom of God is ushered in fully, we will once again and for all eternity be God's people, living in God's place, enjoying God's blessing. And all of that we saw in the first message. We saw that promise just flow through all, throughout all of the Bible. That is the, the thread, you could say, that flows throughout all of the Bible that connects it all together. That's what we focused on in the first message. Until then, however, we are called to be representatives of Jesus and His kingdom in this world. We are to be representing Him here, now, as we are gathered together as believers, as the church. That's what we focused on in the second message together. How we are called to be representing Jesus Christ when we gather together as His church, being citizens of His kingdom. We bear His name. And we are to be representing Him as individual Christians through the accountability of church membership and of church discipline, which is used first and foremost to protect the name of Jesus that we bear as Christians. And it is also used so that we love one another faithfully and biblically. And that's what we focused on last week in our time together. Now, Jesus has also commanded that we represent Him in another way as well. He has commanded that we be spreading His kingdom as His people. And that's what we're going to focus on. So look with me at Matthew chapter 28 as we look together at the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28 verse 16 is where we're going to begin reading together. 
And now in Matthew chapter 16, is to set up the context of what's going on here. Jesus has already gone to the cross. He has been crucified for His people. He has died, been buried, rose from the grave. He has appeared to His disciples for a number of days. And now He is preparing to ascend back into heaven. But before He ascends back into heaven, He has something to say to His disciples. He has one last command to give them while He is on earth. And this is what He says. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now I want us just to take a moment and consider the weight of what Jesus has just told His disciples to do. Because there is a massive thing going on when Jesus said, go throughout all nations and make disciples for My name's sake. Jesus is essentially telling them, I want you to go to every country, to every land, no matter who they are, no matter what they look like, no matter what form of government they may have, no matter if they want you to be there or not. You are to make disciples for My name. You are to proclaim the Gospel. Now the first question is, what gives Jesus the right to give this command? Look at verse 18. We find the answer here. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. And then He says, Go therefore and make disciples. So I command you to go because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is how Jesus is able to give this command. And we were looking at this in our Sunday school lesson this morning, if, if you were there. Jesus Christ is preeminent over all things. He is the one through whom, as John chapter 1 and His Gospel tells us, And in Colossians 1, as Paul tells us, He is the one who has made everything. Everything that you see and you yourself is from the workmanship of Jesus Christ. He has made you. He has given you life and breath and all that you own. He has created this world. Everything that you see, it belongs to Jesus. I think of the famous quote from Abraham Kuyper who says there is not one square inch in all the world where Jesus Christ does not declare mine. Not one square inch. It all belongs to Him. It all belongs to Jesus. So this is how He is able to give this command. This is how He is able to send out these disciples. And it is true for us today. We are to be the same way. Jesus has given us the command to go and to spread the gospel, to 
make disciples for His name. And it doesn't matter what country. It doesn't matter if disciples are being made in Russia or if they're being made in North Korea against Kim Jong-un's will. Jesus Christ stands above and over all of these world powers. One day, these powers, the President of the United States, all of the other world powers that you could think of, Kim Jong-un, Vladimir Putin, and everybody else, whether they like it or not, they will stand before Christ and they will answer to Him for the authority that they have been given. Their authority comes from the allowance of Jesus Christ. He reigns supreme. And His kingdom is going to spread everywhere, throughout, throughout all nations, and it cannot be stopped. No one can stop the kingdom of God from having its cause on the world, going and accomplishing the Lord Jesus' will. So Jesus is able to do this because of His authority, His supremacy. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Him. I also want you to look at how He chooses to do this. How Jesus chooses to spread His kingdom. He tells it to the disciples. He tells them to go, therefore, and make more disciples. And if you look in verse 17, when these guys come together, they're still battling doubt. Even after Jesus Christ has conquered the grave and He stands before them in the flesh, they're doubting. They're facing doubt. These are weak and frail people. And so are you. And so am I. But the Lord Jesus Christ has chosen His people, those weak and frail people, people who were once haters of God, people who were once estranged to Him and to His kingdom. Before you were a Christian, you were an enemy of God. That is what the Bible proclaims to us. Before you were a Christian, you were in fact God's enemy. And by the power of the gospel, He has taken you, He has turned you from your sin, He has transformed you and continues to transform you into the image of His Son. And you gladly declare and spread the kingdom that you once worked against. Is that not amazing? I mean, who does this? You wouldn't do this. I wouldn't do this. If I had a kingdom and I wanted it to be spread across the world, I wouldn't ask you to do it. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure you wouldn't ask me to do it. Because I'm weak and I'm frail. And I have no power within myself to spread a kingdom one inch, much less all throughout the world. So Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven on earth. And although He could appear in a moment and make His name known to every person throughout the world, He doesn't do that. He chooses to use His people. He chooses to take sinful people, transform them, fill them with His gospel, and let them, therefore, declare the good news. And again, this is who we are today. As God's people, as His church, as a whole, and as individuals. So what does it look like 
for us to be continuing what the disciples began after Jesus ascended into heaven? What does it look like for us to be making disciples? What does that look like? Where do we do this and how do we do this? First, you and I need to understand that you cannot do this on your own. There is no part of you or any strength that you may possess that enables you to spread the kingdom of God anywhere. In Mark chapter 4, you can turn there if you like, it's just a few pages over. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus is telling some parables about what the kingdom of God is like. He is proclaiming to the people and comparing them using these illustrations, these parables, and showing them what the kingdom of God is like. And in one instance, he says this. He says, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in his sickle, puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. We, as the people of God, are like that farmer. We have the gospel as the farmer has his seed. And we seek to go out and we seek to spread this seed. Just like the farmer. He plants his crop, he waters his crop, but there's nothing that he can do to make it grow. As Jesus said, he knows not how it grows. The earth produces by itself. It produces alone. Not by anything that the farmer can do. And so it is with us. When you and I make disciples, when we spread the gospel, we're just scattering seed. And we're rising and sleeping night and day like the farmer, and we just see things happen. We see fruit being born. Not because of the eloquent speech that you may be able to use, not because of the methods that we may be able to come up with, but by the power of God and by His power alone. And also... I find it very encouraging how this farmer, he just spreads his seed and then he, he just goes to sleep. Day after day he does his thing and then he goes to sleep because he is dependent upon the work that God does. And so we are to be the same as the people of God, spreading the Word of God, being dependent upon God's power, not anything that we can do. Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is saying along the same lines as what we just saw in Mark chapter 4. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Corinthians are boasting in who has shared the gospel with them. They say, we are followers of Apollos. Well, we're, a follow we're followers of Paul. And Paul says this. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted... Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but God who gives the growth. So you as a Christian, 
as a worker and toiler of bearing good news, you're just a servant. You have no power within you. As Paul says, he says, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but God who gives the growth. You may share the gospel with somebody, and I may come along and share the gospel again, watering what you have already thrown out. But neither you nor I can actually produce the growth. Only God Himself can produce this growth. So again... Paul is saying we are dependent upon God in this work, not in and of ourselves. Again, in Colossians chapter 1, Paul says, Him we proclaim, speaking of Jesus and the good news. He says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy, that He powerfully works within me. I love that. And I hope you do too. Because He says, I struggle. I toil. But it's not with the energy that I have. It's the energy that He provides for me. The energy that He powerfully works within me. So you, as a Christian, are not able to do anything in and among yourselves. We are dependent upon the energy that He powerfully works within us. So now, what does this look like? Knowing that we are dependent upon God, what does this look like for us in Downsville, Louisiana, or in the community that you live in? What does it look like for us to be making disciples? How do we do that and where are we to be doing it? There are three ways I believe that Jesus commands that we are to be making disciples. We are commanded to be making disciples within our own homes. Within our own homes. We are to be making disciples within our own communities. And then finally, we are to be making disciples throughout the world. And so for the rest of our time together, we're going to just walk through these and see how it is we go about making disciples in each of these arenas of life. So if you would turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at verse 4. If you are a parent this morning... If God has given you the gift of children, then your first and foremost priority in making disciples is your own children. God has given you the gift of children so that you can raise up disciples of Jesus. That's why they are given to you. So that you can be exemplifying with your words and with your life the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In every area of life, throughout each day, you are to be living the gospel out to your children. So this is our first and foremost responsibility in making disciples. The children that we have been given. And this is what I want to see, this is what's, uh, this is what I want us to see in Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you are aware, the people of Israel are about to go in and take possession of the land that God has promised them. They are about to take possession of the promised land. And Moses stands before them one last time and begins to remind them of all the commands that God has previously given to them in their stretch of being in the wilderness, the Ten Commandments and all of the other law and so on. So he stands before them to remind them of the law. And this is what he says. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now what does Moses mean by using this language? You know, are we literally to be writing the, the gospel? Again, we're not proclaiming uh, the law anymore. We're proclaiming the gospel. We proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. The law fulfilled in Him. That's what we proclaim. So are we literally supposed to be writing this on our doorpost? writing it and binding it on our hands? Are we supposed to have it on our foreheads? No, that's not what He means. What He means is that these people were called to be teaching diligently to their kids, to their children, God's Word in every area of life. When they rose up, when they laid down, when they went out throughout the day, when they were just hanging out in their house, I guess you could say, doing whatever their normal routines, they were to be diligently teaching with their lives and with their words the Word of God. Because as we know and as we have seen by example from the people of Israel, we are forgetful people. We are very forgetful people. And in the words of one theologian, we are always one generation away from forsaking the Lord. We are always one generation away from forsaking the Lord. And that is the example that the Bible has given us. If you remember in the book of Judges, after the people have gone into the land, over and over again, a generation, a new generation would rise up. And they haven't been diligently taught the Word of God. And the author of Judges would say, and a new generation arose who did not know the Lord. And then the consequences were, is they forsook Him. They forsook His Word. And God condemned them and He brought judgment upon them because of that reason. And we are the same way. We forget. We are forgetful people. We forget to be diligently teaching ourselves the Gospel and also our children. So we are to be diligently proclaiming God's Word to our children. Now, what does that look like? Some practical ways. What does that look like to be making disciples out of the kids, out of the children that God has given you? Do you pray with your children? And I don't mean just whenever you sit down to eat a meal. I mean, do you pray with them in the morning? 
uh, when you do sit down to eat? Do you pray with them at night before you guys go to bed? Are you teaching them to pray as Jesus taught the disciples to pray using the Lord's Prayer? Are you teaching your children to pray? Are you reading to them? Or are you making sure that they're reading it themselves if they're old enough to read? So are you reading them God's Word? Or do you have a system built into your own routine where you guys sit down, you look at God's Word together, they're able to ask questions, you're able to give answers, and you guys just grow together. Now I know in thinking about that, you may be saying to yourself, well, what if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? That's okay. That's okay. You know, the first question that a child is probably going to ask you is, Mom, Dad, Mimma, Peppa, Grandma, Grandpa, whoever, where did God come from? Who made God? What do you say to that? What do you, what's the answer to that question? Right? So you're going to have hard questions brought before you by your kids. God has so wired a child to be not only seeking answers by asking them, but they're also watching you. God has wired these little beings to learn, just as you did when you were a child. So remember that they are watching your every move more than you would like to know. And whenever, Lord willing, the Lord gives Kelly and I kids, they will be watching me than I would like to know. Watching my every move, my every comment. I think of how kids you know, pick up in a moment of anger, the dad may say a word that he may not should have, and then the kid begins to repeat it. You're like, oh, don't say that. They're learning. They're watching you. So be diligently with your life and with your words. Be teaching them the Word of God. We are to be making disciples within our own homes. Second, we are to be making disciples within our own communities. We are to be making disciples within our own communities. Now, what does that look like? What does it look like to be making disciples within the community that you live in? Well, first of all, we are to be sharing the gospel. And we are to be intentional about sharing the gospel with those whom we run into on a daily basis, or even strangers. We are to be intentionally seeking and praying for gospel opportunities. Because if you're not being intentional about this, if you're not praying to the Lord and asking Him for Him to give you a gospel opportunity, then the chances are that you're not going to have very many. I mean, if you just sit at your house and don't really do anything or you don't like to talk to people, then you're not going to be able to share the gospel with people. You're just not going to be able to. You know, I know that's harder for some and easy for others. I mean, you have introverts and you have extroverts, people who thrive in a crowd and people who cringe up whenever people are looking at them or whatever. You're not good in conversation. Still, God commands you to be intentional about sharing the gospel. And this does not mean that you have to be using a track. I mean, they're definitely helpful. But most of this... And I'm thinking about what's most helpful. I mean, tracks are definitely helpful. But I think what's most helpful is if you just have a conversation. You know, where there's just question and answering going back and forth. Okay, I think about a person who may not have a whole lot of knowledge about the Bible. They're asking you questions. 
and you're able to give them answers about what you know about the Bible. You're giving them food for thought. You're giving them answers for them to go and to seek for themselves. So you don't have to be just seeking to give somebody a tract or just walking through something that's planned out. I know that puts a lot of pressure on people. I know it would put a lot of pressure on me if every person I met planned to share the gospel with, I read them a tract or I made sure I got everything right. You not only share the gospel and live out the gospel with people by what you share with them what your word, with your words, but also in the mistakes that you make. You are an imperfect people. I am an imperfect person. But still, God's glory is proclaimed and made known even in our imperfections because they are able to see somebody live out the gospel in repentance. You know, we as Christians live a ever-repenting life, and they are able to see that. So we live this out not only in our words with people, but also in our lives. Whether we make mistakes and must ask for forgiveness, or they see us make mistakes and go before the Lord and ask for His forgiveness. And... I think of uh, how you probably, just like I do, have your own little routine. Uh, you see probably a few people anyways every week. You may go to the same store every week and get gas. You may go to the same store to eat breakfast. Uh, for those of us who work, you go to the same job every day. You work with people who are more than likely, some of them anyways, not believers. So you are going to places throughout your week and coming into contact with people who don't know Christ. Are you being intentional about thinking of ways of how to share Jesus with them in your life, by your actions, and with your words? If you remember a while back, we went through a study called uh, The Gospel Shaped, and there were different series that we went through but it was teaching gospel-centeredness. And what the thrust of that series was is that no matter where you're at, no matter what you're doing, whether it is worship here and now, or your work, or whether it's outreach, or just gospel-shaped living, or mercy ministry, it's all gospel-centered. It is all centered around the gospel. And you are able to bring out the gospel in whatever you are doing. So you are able to do this and exemplify this with your lives. You know, this this isn't something that the leaders of the church do. This isn't something that just the pastor of the church does. You know, this is your responsibility as Christians. Jesus Christ has commanded you as His follower to be making more disciples, sharing the gospel, living the gospel, inviting people over to your house, eating a meal with them, just talking with them, getting to know them, going out to eat with them, having a pattern set up, being intentional about again and again talking with these people, just getting to know them. And throughout all of these little ordinary things in life, you bring up gospel-centered conversations. And in all of this, the Lord gets the glory and Jesus Christ is made known. I think we as Christians can very easily make this harder than what it really is, you know, by putting that pressure on ourselves. 
you prepare to share the gospel with somebody. Oh, what if I say something wrong? What if I lead them astray? Or what if they ask me a question that I don't know? And they make fun of me and they say, you're a Christian? You can't even give me a simple answer. It's okay. It's okay if you don't have an answer to a question. Go back. Tell them, hey, I, I don't know, but I can find the answer for you. Read a book with them. Read a book together. In my life as a disciple, very early on when I became a Christian, this is what Mike and I did together. I became a Christian and I had a million questions. And I asked all of them too, Mike. <laughs> but I met at his house every Thursday night. We would go, we'd sit together, we would eat, we'd share a meal, we would talk together, we'd laugh, we'd share jokes. And then we'd sit together and we'd read books. We'd just read books. And I would have questions and we would seek the answers. And slowly but surely through that process, a disciple of Christ was being made. And you can do the same thing. Brothers and sisters, you can do the same thing. So take courage in that. Take courage that... The Lord Jesus Christ loves to use imperfect people to spread the kingdom of God within our homes, within our communities, and lastly, throughout the world. Now I realize that as I say that we are called to be making disciples throughout the world, that I'm looking at people who are not missionaries. None of you are missionaries in the sense that you live in another culture or another country and you have committed a good part of your life to learning this culture and to sharing the gospel away from home. And that's what I mean by a missionary. So none of you are like that. Now I pray that some of you, one day, maybe somehow, may commit to doing that. I don't know. I don't know what the Lord has in stake for, especially you younger ones. I don't know. May the Lord raise up missionaries from Alls Chapel Bible Church. So I realize that not all of us will go in the way that missionaries go. But we are called to be committing ourselves to this global mission by committing ourselves to prayer for these missionaries. And I mentioned earlier that... So at the table in the back, you can see all the missionaries that we support. Do you pray for these people? Do you pray for the missionaries that have been sent out from the church? to go and to proclaim God's Word. Because the church is the base camp for missions. The church is the one who sends out people to the nations. And we support them with our prayers. And we also support them with our finances. And that is why we took up our offering this morning for them. We quarterly send our gifts our commitment to these people so that they can do the work that they have been called to. I mean, if these people aren't supported in the culture, in the nation that they're in, then they can't live there. They don't have the resources that they need. They don't have the help that they need. And the gospel isn't proclaimed. So we as the church must be committed to praying for our missionaries and also financially supporting our missionaries. And also... If there are ways that we could support them in other ways, whether we send them resources, whatever they may look like, it doesn't just have to be money. 
So we support these people prayerfully and financially. And it's through those three means that we are called to be making disciples within our homes, within our communities, and throughout the world. We pray for the kingdom to spread locally and globally. Now, if you remember, whenever we started this series together, I said that my prayer going forward for this series was, I pray that you would have a better understanding of what it means to be a part of the church and why it exists. And so I continue to pray that. I pray that over the past few weeks, you have a better understanding and have been built up in your knowledge of who you are as an individual Christian, as a representative of Jesus, and who you are as a body of Christ, a member of the body of Christ. Him being the head, we being a part of it, and representing Him in that way. I pray that you have been built up in your understanding of the church. Now, I thought it was fitting that as we come to the end of this series, that I close by reading our church covenant. So if you're not familiar, we do as a church have a covenant, a binding agreement that every member of this church has vocally said and expressed, I commit myself to this covenant. We have bound ourselves together to this covenant. So you can listen as I read and then I'll close in prayer. Having been brought into fellowship by the grace of God, mutual faith in the gospel and baptism into Christ, we covenant together as members of Ald's Chapel Bible Church. We promise that we will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but we will work together for the ongoing faithful ministry of this church, sustaining its teaching and fellowship, ordinances and worship, and contributing our regular gifts as God blesses for our growth into Christ and the spread of His gospel. We promise to work together for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, to walk together in brotherly love and admonish one another as we need. We promise to pray for each other and watch over each other's well-being, rejoicing in each other's happiness and bearing each other's burdens. We promise to work for godly homes, bringing up the children the Lord gives to us in His nurture, and discipline in order to raise up disciples of Christ. We promise also by a pure witness of life and faithful witness of words to seek the salvation of our community in love. These things we covenant together by the grace of God for His glory alone and for our mutual good. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we come before you and oh, we thank you for your word. As we have over the past few weeks looked at the work that you have accomplished for your name's sake, for your glory and for our good. 
taking a people who were once rebels and enemies, taking them and transforming them into the image of your Son, and continually being transformed into that image, calling them your chosen people, adopting them into your family, giving them the grand privilege, the incomprehensible privilege of being called your children, being called the body of Christ, and also having the privilege of being able to spread this kingdom that we have become a part of. May we do this with joyful and thankful hearts. And Father, again, I thank You for these brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, I pray for them as we start again another week, as I know it will be filled with frustrations. Oh, may You bring comfort to them in the things that we have heard, knowing that You are with them as Jesus Christ promised. In the midst of all of this, He is with us in every situation to the end of the age. He is with us. Oh Lord, we thank You for Your Word, and we pray these things to Your glory alone and for the good of us as Your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.